The community of Ozark, Missouri was shocked last Saturday, May 28, when a murder took place on its square. Matthew Dedman of Springfield drove to Ozark and found his wife with a guy named Joe Newborn. Dedman suspected that Newborn and his wife were having an affair, cheating. So he took a gun out of his truck and walked over and shot Newborn three times in the chest and killed him. Then he walked back to his truck and put the gun in the cab of his truck. By the way, Matthew Dedman is pastor of Heritage Baptist Church in Rogersville. Revenge. A wrong has been done, and it needs to be made right. Payback. Balance the score. When I was pastoring the first church that I pastored in Springfield, the Baptist church, I uh, was receiving some criticism, a lot of criticism from a small group of people uh, because of the uh, sin of singing choruses and not hymns and of not standing behind the pulpit when I preached and those kinds of things like that. And it got so bad that about three years after Denise and I moved here, uh, they brought me up to be fired. And uh, Daniel was, you know, like four years old or so at that time. And I was talking to Denise about this and some of the criticism that I was getting. And Daniel overheard that conversation, and I hate that. But he did overhear it. And he came into the kitchen where Denise and I were sitting he says, I'm going to get my gun. You know, and I appreciated his support. <laughs> and uh, I, I really just could not disagree with him that, that I kind of wanted to do that too. But then I, got th- I thought, what kind of parent am I that my three or four-year-old, that's how he would resolve a problem. And uh, I'm afraid that all of us are somewhat given to revenge. And we have created a culture of payback. It's hard to watch any kind of movie anymore without revenge being a theme of those movies. Uh, Every Clint Eastwood movie that I remember is about revenge. Up there on the upper left, Lee Nielsen is always using his skills to get vengeance upon somebody that's kidnapping a family member. Uh, you got uh, Jason Bourne. I think he was gone for nine years, and he came back in 2016 to, to give a little whoop-ass to the people that ruined his life. And who can forget that bottom left, Carrie, Stephen King novel about a high school girl who was bullied against revenge in Quentin Tarantino. I think every movie he makes... Is all about revenge. When uh, when Denise and I uh, was in California last, were in California a couple weeks ago for Devin's graduation. We stayed a few extra days. We were driving down the interstate outside of L.A. and uh, I had our little rental Ford Escape, and uh, it's good good way to escape. And just zoomed by me. I was driving. 
Zooms by my side was this uh, really good-looking Maserati sports car. And it must have been like a 16-year-old kid driving that. And I didn't think so much about how crazy the kid was driving and weaving in and out of traffic. My thought was, how did he afford such a car like that? <laughs> and then on our right, on the shoulder, some Porsche sports car came zooming by. And I don't know if they were racing, if there was road rage going on or what in the world was happening. But man, we were just kind of looking around and saying, we love LA. <laughs> and so we got to a place where the traffic kind of got stalled. And this portion tried to muscle in in front of me. And what do you think I did? Revenge. <laughs> Sometimes the desire for revenge is motiv motivated by spite, bitterness, maybe an overinflated ego. But honestly, a lot of times revenge is motivated by justice a demand for fairness. There's been a wrong, and that wrong needs to be made right. It's the recognition that something's not right with this person, with this situation, with this world, and it needs to be set right. So let's not sugarcoat it. There are some things that really should make us mad, righteous indignation. I've been reading over the last few weeks about the Southern Baptist Convention, and those of you who are fairly new to the venues will know that the Southern Baptist world is our, my world uh, until about uh, 30 years ago, and as it was Denise's world. And so I've been reading about the sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Over the last three weeks, I've been reading about the sexual abuse at Camp Kanakuk which is not just a uh, very influential camp in the Ozarks. It really goes nationwide, maybe even worldwide. And those, both of those Christian organizations, it's been discovered, have had decades of sexual abuse in, at the camp and in Southern Baptist churches. And in both Christian organizations, the leadership has known about it. But they covered it up. Why? To save the brand. And I cannot read that without getting mad. Sad, maybe more than mad, but it doesn't take long to cross over in my consonants from sad to mad. And if things, some things in our culture don't make us mad, and I'm just wondering if we really are connected to God. Are we aware of the connection to God? It says this about God, that love must be without hypocrisy, to abhor what is evil, to cling to what is good. Malachi the prophet says, who can endure the day of his coming and who can keep standing when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's Soap. Cling to the good and hate the evil. It's okay to hate the evil. 
and to hold on, to be, it's really to be glued to the good is what that Greek word meant. And this Malachi is the last book in the Hebrew scripture, in the, in the Protestant Hebrew scripture. Uh, and after that, Malachi, in this passage, presents God as a uh, punisher of evil, but maybe more than a punisher, a purifier of evil. And God uses two things, two metaphors Malachi uses to talk about what God does. He, he uses a refiner's fire, a fire that burns out the junk stuff and leaves only the gold. That's what God does as a purifier. He uses the metaphor Malachi of soap. Uh, when the shepherds would shear the sheep, the wool, of course, was yucky, dirty, and all that kind of stuff. And so they would get soap and wash the wool. I don't know if they used lava or Mama Jean's organic soap. <laughs> but that's what God does in punishment. The purpose of any, if we want to call it punishment, it's to purify. It's not to destroy. It's to purify the junk so that only the gold remains. To purify, to get rid of the dirt so only the beautiful wool remains. Some of the greatest characters of Scripture wanted revenge. Another prophet, Jeremiah, was praying. He said, God, you can see how I suffer insult after insult, all because of you, Lord. Don't you love that? I love the honesty. God, you're making this bad stuff happen to me. All this crap that the people are giving to me, it's your fault. I like that. <laughs> so he says, God, don't be so patient with my enemies. Take revenge on them before they kill me. See, I felt that way. Take revenge on this group of people at the church before they fire me. Because I want to sing choruses instead of hymns, which is the unpardonable sin in the Baptist church in 1984. <laughs> you know, and people still argue about music today. I, I just, anyway, it's a whole other thing. I don't get it. I thought we were over all that, but we're not. And then David, look, he says, God is my deliverer. The Lord is among those who support me. See, I don't know if that's true. That's what I thought, too. The Lord is on my side. God wants choruses, too. <laughs> we always think God is on our side, don't we? And not on the other people's sides. I, I don't think that's true, though. I think just God's for everybody. I think he just wants all of us. To experience peace. Anyway, that's just a, threw that in. You can just get rid of that because it's probably not true. But then he says this, may those who wait to ambush me be repaid for their evil as a demonstration of your faithfulness. Destroy them. As a demonstration of your love, God, destroy them. See, I'm not saying that David or Jeremiah were right in what they wanted. But I'm like that too. I've kept a list. Yeah. I've thrown it away. I've 
pulled it back out. And finally, I shredded it. But I still carry sometimes a list in my mind. Hard to shred that. Not as bad as I used to be. But it's still there sometimes. This is disturbing. Oh, daughter Babylon, soon to be devastated. How blessed will be the one who repays you for what you dished out to us. How blessed will be the one who grabs your babies, smashes them on a rock. Yeah, it's dark. But that just shows how dark we become and how low a spirit of revenge can take us. Where we not only want revenge upon a person, an adult who did something to us, no, and now we're wanting to smash the babies. Revenge is kind of a mixed bag. There are there are studies that show that when you get revenge, you get the same pleasure as you do when you eat chocolate. It, it connects with this reward center in your mind, in your brain, when you get revenge. Isn't that great? I wonder why we would be designed that way. I can't eat that. That's not gluten-free, but it sure does look good. But there are other studies that show that revenge is rewarding, like eating chocolate, but it may be more like 88% chocolate instead of milk chocolate. It may be bitter sweet. But the sweetness of revenge doesn't last very long. Professor of psychology, Dr. David Chester, says in his, as a result of his studies, revenge can, can feel really good in the moment. But when we follow up with people five minutes, ten minutes, and 45 minutes later, they actually report feeling worse than they did before they sought revenge. Well, that's interesting. It is bittersweet. So is there an alternative to revenge? I sure hope so. Let me just propose this. Revenge is seen in this approach called retributive justice. The alternative is still justice, but it's restorative justice. Basically, the first one is about punishing. The second one is about healing. There's a concept in the Hebrew culture called shalom, we've heard it before, translated as peace. But it goes so far beyond the peace. It really describes the well-being of people, and not just one group of people, all groups of people. And the prophets of the Hebrew people would prophesy of a time in which there would be peace for everyone when the Messiah would come. Shalom for everyone. Well-being for everyone. And that's what I sense is the goal of restorative justice. That there will be peace for the victim and there will be peace for the community in which the crime was committed and there will be peace 
for the accused, for the, quote, criminal in that. That's a hard thing for us to get to, isn't it? Because we're pretty much wired just for punishment, not for restoration. So restorative justice, you may not be ready for this, but I want you to at least think about it. Restorative justice acknowledges that those who do the wrong need healing as much as those to whom the wrong was done. It's hard. Three basic aspects of this. Justice is not about getting even, but about getting well. Empathy is for all involved. And it's given by all. It's a process, obviously. So there must be an awareness that harm was done to the victim. But there also must be an awareness that there could have been a past harm in the accused life that is a factor in the actions of crime. It's hard for us to go there. Restorative justice may be a bridge too far for some of us. Secondly, a mumbled sorry is not enough. We've all said a mumbled sorry. We've all had mumbled sorries given to us, and we know it's not enough. So there must be in restorative justice an acknowledgement that a wrong has been committed, and my wrong against Denise has hurt her. A wrong against a victim has hurt that victim. And there has to be an acknowledgement and the best possible way to understand that, wow, what I have done has really hurt this individual and this community. And that understanding of the hurt has to be followed with an attempt to make, wrong, make right that wrong. Any good therapist will tell you, you cannot heal what you don't acknowledge. This is the acknowledgement step of that. Now, when we admit to one another the exact nature of our wrongs, as the 12-step program tells us to do, we have a human and a humanizing experience and an encounter. And we don't admit the exact nature of our wrongs in order to score moral points or in order to earn God's love, but we are able to admit the exact nature of our wrongs out of an environment of love. God already knows the wrongs, but when we are aware of and living in that love of God, of unconditional love, we're free to admit just how horrible my actions are. Not to earn God's love because it's already there. But in the environment of God's love, I love this verse. I was angry because of their sinful greed, God is uh, reported to have said through Isaiah. And I attacked them and angrily rejected them, yet they remained disobedient and stubborn. I've seen their behavior, but I will heal them. I will lead them and I will pro provide comfort to them 
and those who mourn with them. I am the one who gives them reason to celebrate. Complete prosperity is available both to those who are far away and those who are nearby, says the Lord. I will heal them. In essence, that passage gives us restorative justice. I will heal everybody. I will heal the victim of the sexual abuse. But as hard as it is for me to get my head around it, God wants to heal the abuser. And if you're having a hard time getting your head around that, I get it. I do too. And it just tells me I've got a long way to go in grace. I've got a long way to go. Justice has to be done in those cases. I am so angry by the Southern Baptist hiding this and for Camp Kanika hiding this and not addressing it. And for all those children who were abused by Christian leaders. I'm so angry. And there has to be justice. Isaiah talks about a punishment. But punishment is not the end. It's a purification that leads to a healing. And I don't know if our justice system is very well set up for that. I don't know if our culture is very well set up for that. I think we like revenge too much to even go there. Even the church people who I think should really be more on that side of restorative justice have a hard time going there. Y'all remember the movie uh, Revenant? Leonardo DiCaprio, he played a role of a guy named... Uh, Hugh Glass. Hugh Glass was a fur trapper who got mauled by a bear. He was hunting on the western uh, frontier. And uh, his friends who were with him, Glass's friends who were with him, just left him to die. And before they left, though, they murdered Glass's son right before Glass's eyes. And uh, as the movie goes, uh, Hugh Glass kind of awoken from his uh, grave and uh, trekked 80 miles and got revenge on those guys that left him for dead and that killed his son. But that's the movie version. According to film blogger Michael Punk, the real story is this. Hugh Glass did get attacked by a bear. He was left for dead. His son was killed. And he did walk 80 miles to meet these betrayers. But he didn't get revenge on them. He forgave them. He forgave them for leaving him for dead and for murdering his son. So why didn't they make the movie like that? Why didn't they tell that story? Is Forgiveness so boring, maybe so unrealistic. Nobody would believe that. We believe the superhero movies, but we won't believe that. Yeah. Maybe we as a culture had rather see movies and stories of revenge than we do 
forgiveness. Because we all think of somebody that we would like to exact revenge upon. We also, well, there's the bear and the trapper right there. I, can you tell who that is right there? Those are two of our staff members who like to play jokes on their pastor. That's Joey and Whitney right there. I don't know if they had this picture made just for this sermon today. It must have been a Halloween costume. So go from Joey and Whitney, the bear and the uh, fur trapper, to uh, Game 3 2017 World Series. Yuli Guriel of the Houston Astros made a racially insensitive remark and an anti-Asian gesture toward L.A. pitcher Hugh Darvish. Now, Guriel was suspended, not for the World Series, for the first five games of the next season. And Darvish, the Asian pitcher for the Dodgers, said that Guriel's comment and his gesture was an offense to Asian people all around the planet. But then Darvish put out this tweet. I believe we should put our effort into learning rather than to accuse him. Let's stay positive and move forward instead of focusing on anger. I'm counting on everyone's big love. Boy, he's a lot further along than a lot of us, isn't he? What's the world coming to when somebody's willing to forgive, to love, in spite of what's been done to them? Maybe something good. Maybe there is a ray of light on this very cloudy day in which we live. I love the Toy Story series. I think this is from the 1995, the first one uh, of the Toy Story. story. Uh, Buzz Lightyear says to Woody, I just want you to know that even though you tried to terminate me, revenge is not an idea we promote on my planet. Oh, well, that's good. But we're not on my planet. <laughs> and the next scene is Buzz Lightyear with his hands around Woody's neck. One of the things that I try to repeat a lot in my teaching is that we are citizens of two kingdoms. We live in this kingdom on this earth with its values and its priorities. But Paul says we are also citizens of heaven. There is the kingdom of heaven. And we have a choice as to what kingdom to pledge our allegiance and by what kingdom's values to live and whose kingdom's priorities to follow. And it seems like the, the values and the priorities of the kingdom of heaven, the planet of heaven, is very different than the planet earth. It is to forgive. It is not retributive justice, 
It is restorative justice. It is purification, not just punishment. It is a healing, not just for the victim of the crime for which the accused stands convicted, but it is for the criminal. Are we able to see the hurt in the person that inflicted such hurt. I want to close with three quotes, and I really should have just had these three quotes, and it would have been all over. As Bishop Tutu says it so well. These 66-year-old eyes can't see that far back. Let me read this one. Forgiveness does not relieve someone of responsibility for what they have done. Forgiveness does not erase accountability. It is not about turning a blind eye or even turning the other cheek. It is not about letting someone off the hook or saying it is okay to do something monstrous. Forgiveness is simply about understanding that every one of us is both inherently good and inherently flawed. Within every hopeless situation and every seemingly hopeless person lies the possibility of transformation. What about evil, you may ask? Aren't some people just evil, just monsters? And aren't such people just unforgivable? I do believe there are monstrous and evil acts. But I do not believe those who commit such acts are monsters or evil. To relegate someone to the level of monster is to deny that person's ability to change and to take away that person's accountability for his or her actions and behavior. That spoke to me. If I label someone a monster, then it removes from that person, that someone, their accountability. Well, if that person is a monster, then how can I blame him? That's what monsters do. But if I see the individual who did a monstrous act as a person, then that person is accountable for the monstrous act. That act was not just a natural manifestation of the person. The person chose to do this. It wasn't just uh, like breathing. No. If you and I fail to see the personhood of even those who act in monstrous ways, we're removing from them accountability and acknowledgement, and there's no healing without acknowledgement. All right. One more quote by the bishop. It is a remarkable feat to be able to see past the inhumanity of the behavior and recognize the humanity of the person committing the atrocious acts. This is not weakness. This is heroic strength, the noblest strength of the human spirit. So I close with this appeal to myself. 
because I'm not there yet. And to you too, if you're not there yet. Be strong. And redefine strength. Maybe strength is not the power to exact revenge. Maybe it's really strength to see the humanity in someone who has committed an inhumane act. I don't have this verse up there because I just read it today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, where the writer says to young Timothy, be strong in the grace of Christ. Be strong in the grace of Christ. The Christ who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mm. Philip, just tell us how to get saved so we don't have to go to hell. That used to be the gospel that I believed. I think the good news, which is what gospel means, the really good news is that there can be healing for everybody. The offender and the offended. Where the lamb will lie down with the lion. Well, the one who attacked will be at peace with the one who was attacked. Oh my gosh, it just sounds stupid, doesn't it? It really does. But I go back to another verse in Isaiah. The ways of God are higher than our ways. And the context of that is his kindness. God's kindness just blows our mind. Anyway, do you have anybody in your mind right now? Anybody on your list? Back in the old days, I'd have an invitation. I'd have you write down the name of that person on paper and come lay it at the altar. Really not a bad idea, is it? You got an altar, you're an altar. You're a priest. And you are a good person. And God is in you. That means love is in you. And we can all join together. Actually forgive those who have hurt us. Not excuse it, but forgive it.